Am I Reister or am I wrong? I'm probably Reister, but if not, leave a comment. These Halloween parties and activities have caused a huge spike in coronavirus cases for in college football, which has turned into cancellations, and in the NFL, which has turned into a bunch of your star players not being able to play. And it's not so much them testing positive, it's contact tracing a lot of times. Dan Patrick said probably the most disrespectful thing I have ever in my life heard said about the Pac-12. There is good news for college football fans, though. SEC would probably be all their games canceled except for Florida, Arkansas, except you still get the Pac-12. There is good news. You can watch it. And the NFL is doing a good thing. I have to applaud the NFL, Roger Goodell, and the leadership for actually coming up with a good idea on how to incentivize teams to hire minority candidates. Not necessarily just for their team, but when they leave as well. Good job, NFL. And of course, my parting shot on the coronavirus. Am I Reister or am I wrong is the intersection where sports, business, society, and pop culture meet the truth. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, fire. Before you show up, Check your feelings at the door. There's no BS allowed because I keep it 100. Make sure, though, that you leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Give the podcast a like, a thumbs up. You're watching on YouTube. Subscribe. And most importantly, share, people. Share the podcast with everybody. Text it to them. Email it. Share this valuable information proprietary <laughs> um and you guys can get a hold of me gw podcast at unafraidshow.com shoot me an email i will get back to you and make sure that you subscribe to the pack 12 apostles podcast wherever podcasts are found and you can find me as well fox sports radio sundays 2 to 5 p.m pacific 5 to 8 eastern time Um, We're going to start, though, with what's going on with the coronavirus cases that have caused Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Maryland, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Georgia, Missouri, Auburn, Mississippi State, Memphis Navy, Air Force, Wyoming, and Louisiana, Monroe, Arkansas State to be either postponed or canceled this week. It is the damn Halloween parties. I said this a week ago. Everybody said, oh, George, you're overreacting. No, no. I was told that NFL players had gone to Halloween parties. We know what college kids are going to do. So mind you, all the people that have gotten it or gone into contact tracing, this does not mean that they were at a party. And it does not mean that they were being irresponsible. Sometimes it's people who were around them that were being irresponsible. So so here is how it works. So obviously in college football, you've had all these games canceled. You've also had teams play with short rosters. And in college, pretty much all the conferences have similar rules in the fact that you have to have at least 53 scholarship players available. Plus, you have to have in in that 53 certain position groups like quarterback, 
you have to have at least one available for the game, a certain number of offensive linemen, I think that's seven, and then a certain number of defensive linemen that are available to play. But so many of these kids are getting knocked out by contact tracing, and some people don't like it. Well, the CDC has guidelines, first things first. And then also the conferences have their own individual guidelines, and then the city has their guidelines. So if someone gets COVID, like for instance, if it's a defensive lineman, like what happened at Cal, and the city of Berkeley has stronger uh, contact tracing standards than the Pac-12 and the CDC. So anybody who had been in close contact with that person, so it wiped out their whole D-line. So while they have 53 players, they didn't meet the minimum number of scholarship players, so then they can't play. So people are saying, oh, this is stupid. They're getting knocked out by the contact tracing. Well, here's the thing. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 are doing daily antigen testing. And then if you fail, if you test positive on an antigen test, then they give you a PCR test to kind of confirm or figure out whether it was a false positive, all of that. So, and then you have to figure out who's been in close contact with that person. The whole point of the testing is, is then to isolate cases the way you don't have an outbreak and don't have to sit out for weeks. So in Cal's case, they're probably going to have to move from the city of Berkeley to be able to play football because the, they may have to move to Reno. They have to move to another city close to the Bay because their school is not on, um, in camp in session on campus anyway, so they can do school anywhere. And, the only reason why these colleges are playing anyway is for the money. So if you're going to be getting the money, play your games, get the money. So the contact tracing, which is making people upset, is the issue. Because it goes back to, it keeps going back to money and it keeps going back to liability. Because you had Utah just talk about they had a player hospitalized. The Jaguars have had a player hospitalized. Other teams have had players that that either have been very sick or hospitalized. So while that number of the total number is very low, the risk tolerance of each individual university has to be zero. Because if you because when we don't know the long term effects, that creates an issue. Um, But all of this, all of those games being canceled while it is. Bad news for the, it's bad news for the SEC. Bad news for Ohio State. But this is great news for college football fans because they finally get a chance to see the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is going to have its day in the sun. All their games are going to be nationally televised, assuming they play, because it is only Wednesday. And... They're going to have a stage instead of being some of these games being on the Pac-12 network in 17 or 18 million homes. They're going to be in on ESPN, Fox Sports 1 um, and ABC and ESPN 2, all of that in front of multi millions of homes instead of what they are used to on the Pac-12 network. So that is a big deal. So all you SEC fans enjoy because we had to watch you guys. So now not the tables have turned. Just tune in. See what it is. Enjoy some football over the weekend. Um, but that led to the question of what is the college football playoff committee going to do? Because the conferences are clearly in charge. And everybody's saying, oh, they should push it back for weeks and weeks and weeks. 
to give themselves, quote unquote, more flexibility. In theory, that makes sense. But college football is driven by the stars. It's driven by the best players. And the closer and the further that you push it back. So the furthest that I believe that you can push the college football playoff committee back is till, well, now they're meeting and deciding on December 20th is one week. Because if the further and further that you push it back, you have to push back the national championship and all that. You're going to have the top players in college football opt out because you're going to be because they've already put down game film for this year. They've put down some good film. They know that they're going to be first or second round draft picks. And they're going to say, I don't want to sprain an ankle, get an MCL, which are minor injuries or a little hip pointer or something, which then after a season is over with in general in January, they have time to heal up before the NFL combine, which the NFL clearly still still intends to be on its normal calendar. So you're going to have players. You could have the Trevor Lawrence's. You could have the Justin Fields. You could have, no matter if they're in line for a national championship or not, potentially opt out if you push it back too far because now you're messing with my money. And the money is king for college football. We've seen it with the budgets, the shortfalls, all of that. So now the players would be taking the the power back. So that's why the college football playoff committee can't push it back any more than one week. Uh, But back to the Pac-12 for just a second, because Dan Patrick, wonderful radio host, called it right with the Big Ten coming back, everything. He said the most disrespectful thing about the Pac-12 that I have ever heard. I know we have Michael Scott, a.k.a. Larry Scott, running the conference. But this man had the audacity to say that the Pac-12 should be playing on Wednesdays. Yes, Wednesdays. Instead of that they should own the night of the week like Maction on Tuesdays. That is so disrespectful. That means that you think so little of the Pac-12 that you think that instead of playing on Saturdays with all the other people that they should go to the little kids table on Thanksgiving. You know how on Thanksgiving you the, the parents have their own section. Then the kids have their own table. You want to send them down at the kids table with the group of group of five schools that play during the week. Now I already don't like these midweek games in terms of for the power five schools on Thursdays and Fridays. Don't like them. The ratings aren't nearly there. You can quote unquote own a night of the week, but it's not the same. It doesn't have the same energy and weird stuff happens too. So let's take last week, the Oregon, the USC Arizona state game was on at 9am, which is an unusually and ungodly early time to be playing for the PAC 12. Cause that's a 4:45 AM pregame meal. So the Pac-12, instead of, so the Pac-12 has been taking these, these game times, whether it's late at night, Pac-12 after dark, or whether it's this, right? But the ratings were half a million viewers or more, more than what they get on Thursday and Friday nights. So that lets you know that Saturday is king. So the idea of, quote unquote, owning a Wednesday by Dan Patrick is absolutely craziness. It's foolishness. And if the, and th- this is something that M- Michael Scott 
aka Larry Scott, would actually do or consider I believe it. It would be a terrible idea for the conference. It would be a bad look. Would absolutely hate it. Uh, next thing up. So the NFL is doing something new. It is going to reward teams for developing minority candidates at top organizational levels. This is a good thing, which is a departure. Well, it's actually more like an addition to the Rooney rule, which was enacted in 2003, which said that every team had to interview at least one minority candidate for their head coaching positions. Well, that hasn't worked because we're sitting at 2010 and you got Anthony Lynn, Brian Flores, uh, Mike Tomlin, Ron Rivera as head coaches. So, so the question is, why hasn't it worked? Some people will say, well, it's a meritocracy. Sports, they, they hire the best person. Like, you don't think owners want to win? Aren't they going to hire the best coach? That would make sense if there were an actual criteria for becoming an NFL head coach. It, it doesn't say, oh, you need to be an offensive coordinator, then a defensive coordinator, then coaching college, then coaching the NFL for three years. And then, no, there's not like there's not check off qualifications. The qualification is that the owner feels comfortable enough with you to give you the keys to his franchise. That's it. That's why bad coaches are hired. If it were only qualified candidates, then yeah, you, you wouldn't have that. And so for so long, Teams have been circumventing this system. Look at Marvin Lewis interviewing for the Cowboys. Jerry Jones already knew he was hiring Mike McCarthy. He just had to jump through the hoop. He had zero intention of hiring Marvin. Zero. But he had to do it. So what this new rule is going to do, and I'll read it to you, that the teams that lose a coach or a minority executive to a head coaching position or a primary football executive role with another club will receive a third round compensatory pick for two consecutive years. And if a team loses a minority coach and an executive to both head coach and general manager or uh, president roles, that club will receive a third round compensatory pick for three consecutive years. So, Though that's a departure from the plan or the proposal that was put forth earlier this year, which said that teams would be given a compensatory third round pick for hiring a minority candidate at head coaching or general manager or president. The big difference in what you see in these two things is Okay, so if you hire a minority, so if you lose a coach, that means that you have done the due diligence of hiring the best people for your job and then not being upset when they leave because you get something back. So that actually encourages people from the Rooney rule to hire great talent, even if they're not sure if they can relate, if they're not understanding because old white man, younger, younger guy, they're like, okay. We'll give you a chance because you seem you've met the qualifications that the same thing that a white person would. So we're going to give you a chance and then we're going to train you up. And then go, go fly birdie, go fly. And we get something back. So, and I, so I do want to applaud Roger Goodell. 
I want to applaud the NFL because they actually found a way, the best bad idea to make this work because there should not be a quota on how many black head coaches there should be. There shouldn't be a mandatory hiring rule because it's supposed to be a meritocracy, merit-based thing. But we have seen that that's not what's been happening because it's impossible to logically say that 70% of the NFL players are black. Many of them go into coaching after, even in the NFL, but you can't find quality black offensive coordinators, quality black head coaches. You can't say that. So there has to be a reason why you don't want to say, I mean, it feels uncomfortable to say, okay, these people are racist, right? Yeah. But is it not that they're racist? Maybe it's that implicit bias, which or subconscious things that says we can naturally relate to people who come from circumstances that are like ours. So that's why owners, they hire people who look like them from backgrounds like them most often. Because that's what they're comfortable with. That's what they're, that's what they kind of know. So how do you get more coaches? So now you have a higher percentage of NFL coaches coming from the offensive coordinator ranks, which means, which is then a trickle down, even though trickle down economics doesn't, doesn't work it does work in the term in the field of black quarterbacks. So quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators typically come from a quarterback background, but for so long, black quarterbacks weren't given the same fair shot, fair shake. But over the last 10 years, the increasing number of black quarterbacks, I mean, you're looking at almost half the league now. So then a lot of these players and some in the backup positions too, same thing in college. Those guys are going to turn around and be quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators like the Byron Leftwiches of the world in Tampa. And then those guys will, in theory, get an opportunity to be head coaches. That's the theory, right? But now teams are going to be incentivized to not pass up on the uh, hiring the Eric B enemies. But then Kansas City, when they lose him, will get a benefit. So now it will benefit both the franchise for actually finding the right talent. Because if you can't find good minority candidates, you aren't looking in the right place. That's just a fact. And coaching is a good old boys club. It takes, you have to be in the circle to get hired and then all of that. But the other thing is, is that it's the recycling of head coaches. Because a lot of times, Head coaches don't do a good job in their first stop. Sometimes it's because they don't have a quarterback like Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll. In their first stops in Cleveland and the Jets in the NFL, both sucked. Did not win, deserved to be fired. But they got another chance, right? That doesn't happen at the same percentage as it does for black candidates. Look at the Marty Schottenheims of the world. The damn Adam Gase with the Jets. He was bad with Miami and he's bad again with the Jets. Is he fired? No, 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 no. People can make excuses for it. So, but look at Raheem Morris. He deserved to be potentially fired in Tampa when he was the head coach. Can't argue with that. But now he's with the Falcons, took over for Dan Quinn. Team was 0-5. They won three of the last four. Team's looking good. Should he be the head coach? Probably. Probably. 
Gotta give him a shot. Um, it is important that teams no longer circumvent the Rooney rule, that they really do a good job of it now. Um, because over the last three years, there have been 19 head coaching vacancies in the NFL to hire minority candidates or black candidates. Just a fact, man. Can't argue with the numbers. You can't not argue with the stats. The last thing up is my parting shot. COVID's still real. It didn't vanish with the election. It didn't go away. It's not going away. It's not. Put on a damn mask. Am I Reister or am I wrong? I'm probably Reister, but if not, leave a comment. Peace out. Catch you guys on Friday.